Welcome to the Future Hero Podcast. My name is Baxter. Thank you for pressing play. As I mentioned in the previous episode in my interview with Ben Drexler, the number one request that I have been getting is to do more interviews. And since this is uh, my audience is largely artist and flow artist based, uh, I'm going to start with people within the flow arts community. And I want to interview them, um, well, it's really because of something that I, I heard that Ram Das. Um, well, he, he retold, but he has a, a speech in which he says that one of his teachers recommended that they only read about liberation from someone who is liberated. Otherwise, even the best explanation on how to get to, to liberation is written by someone who hasn't achieved it. And so, of course, it it really limits your reading list. But with that thought in mind, I've been wanting to interview people that have actually done it. And what I mean by done it is sustained themselves off of their art form or taken a big leap and actually have uh, proof of that effort. And with much excitement, I am going to welcome in Spiral today. Spiral and I go way back, and I think most of you know her, when I posted about this interview on Facebook, I think there were about 150 likes or so on this idea, and uh, if you don't know who Spiral is, she is uh, a performer of uh, stage and festival, and pri- I mean, just, just about every type of venue that a performer could be in, uh, she has done. She has uh, been a flow artist. And then quite some time ago, like maybe four or five years ago, she transitioned into including more circus arts, um, you know, more traditional things she does. uh, Well, she can tell you all the different things that she does, but she's, uh, she's multi-talented for sure. And multi-skilled. I must say that, that Spiral is one of the hardest working uh, performer people that I've been around, which I know that that's pretty psycho work ethic in that community, but she, compared to just the regular flow arts world, she definitely brings like a rigor to it and has really thought about it. And so I'm really curious to, to hear what she has to say about it. We're going to try to talk about a lot of things, but we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on hooping, at least not more than half of our time on hooping. And then we'll try to pick this up in another podcast and get a little bit more hooping specific. So, Spiral, welcome from Berlin. How are you? Oh, I'm great, Bax. What an intro. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. I mean every word of it. <laughs> I, uh, I guess I should give us a little bit of context. We know each other going back from, I think, early 2002, although you were kind of introduced to me in my life in 2001 because you gave Julia... Uh, you let her borrow your giant hula hoop, and that that brought hooping into my life. And then you've been, uh, you know, you and I have uh, been hoop buddies ever since. And uh, I think uh, I'm not exactly sure about the year, but at some point you decided that you wanted to focus full time on performing, and I decided that I wanted to go full time into teaching. And you went your way and flowered into something amazing, and uh, you know, and I went my way. So uh, that's our history. And uh, I'd love to hear like a little bit of your history. Like, what's your take? What's your origin story with flow? Oh goodness! Well, uh, hmm, yeah. The origin story—it's—it's it's funny. I guess it all—you know—it all started with a hoop. 
just like uh, just like you. Um, in 2001, in July, July 17th, actually, I was able to uh, go back and look it up. July 17th, 2001 is my hoop anniversary uh, when I first uh, came across a hula hoop at a string cheese incident show uh, because I was definitely um, full on hippie at that, at that point and had been following fish and stuff a little bit. And someone else had told me about this band. And, um, interestingly enough, oddly enough, uh, I went to go check them out in Rockingham, North Carolina. They were performing at a racetrack, which is about as, as the Southern rock. as it, yeah, 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 yeah as I know about Southern it. as it gets. And of course, you know, being symbolically inclined, I'm, I also get a little kick out of the fact that it's this circular, you know, totally. track and venue. And it is, uh, about 15 minutes from my grandmother's house on my dad's side, like in the deep, deep South. Um, so I went to this show and I saw these people spinning gigantic hula hoops um, and I had always been drawn to dance and I was immediately captivated, um, and, uh, found the guy who was selling them and requested the biggest one that he had. And so it was a little bit over five feet in diameter and probably about a, an inch and a half, uh, thick, the tubing with water inside. So it was crazy. a huge, <laughs> shit, right? a huge, uh, <laughs> implement. Um, but it definitely facilitated a lot of very easeful and relaxed flow. Uh, so I, I was Im immediately taken with it. And yeah, so that was uh, midway through the summer of 2001. And um, later that year, I had been kind of going to a lot of music festivals. Um, and it was in October of that year that I met Julia Hartzell, who was very dear to both of us. Mm -hmm. Um, and she came up and introduced herself. She was taken with the hoop as well. Uh, but we're, what really solidified the connection uh, between she and I was the fact that after that festival was over, I, uh, I had really loved the DJ shadow set and I saw that he was performing in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is actually your roots. Right. So many inter interconnected things, yeah, you know, sure. so, so I drove down to see DJ shadow and, uh, lo and behold, Julia was also at the show because she had also uh, dug it. And, uh, and then we realized we had both, uh, independently driven, you know, from the Chapel Hill area to Charlotte to see this DJ and we became, fast friends from then on and she was totally into the hoop and introduced you to the hoop and yeah it's all so lovely nice so lovely interwoven yes yeah when did you um i mean not you don't need to give me exact dates but how long did it take before it, it like hooping became a thing well it's interesting i definitely took to it very very quickly and it was kind of with me all the time throughout that summer in 2001 um, but it was, um, I believe April of 2002, I had embarked upon this, um, 14 months of world travel. Uh, and I had an amazing travel buddy, this guy, Ohm. And it's funny. I think it's the, the last time I have ever traveled without a hoop was in, <laughs> it was in 2001 in this 14 months of travel. And during the course of this time, um, this, this man that I was traveling with, uh, he was very, um, 
a very odd bird, very, very outside of the mainstream. And he inspired me in a big way to never want to work sort of the nine to five mm. gig, you know, and I had already been, uh, doing a lot of, you know, customer service, waiting tables, bartending, this kind of stuff. But he really instilled in me this idea, like, I, I really I, I can't live the standard life. And I was wondering, wondering, what would it be? What can I do that's that's different? And then when I got back to the States um, in 2003, after all of this amazing transformative travel, I dove into the hoop uh, again. And in the time that I had been gone, and this is so this is so funny to think back on now, in the time that I had been gone, Julia had, had also really taken to the hoop mm-hmm. and had been making them. And she had learned from Miss Saturn at a show, how to take it from your waist overhead. You know, this was a huge breakthrough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when, when, when we had this moment of coming back together and she showed me this one trick and all these things started to unlock, uh, and then I thought, well, gosh, well, this is what I'm good at. I, I should just run with this for a while, you know? And there, there was, of course, also, especially when you're just starting out with the hoop and, and starting the, the cottage business, making and selling hoops, is, is a way to kind of, you know, quit cash and stuff like that. Well, not quick, but there's a lot of work involved, but it is a way to sort of help sustain yourself. So, um, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And I had a a natural sort of affinity, uh, for the dance and for the flow. And, um, she and I moved in together and we started crafting hoops like crazy, you know, going out to events, going to Weaver street market where, uh, you know, there was a big part of our shared hoop history also. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, it kind of took on a life of its own and it was definitely a few more years that I was still hustling, you know, with waiting tables. And then for a while it was doing tree work also to supplement my income. Um, but I had a pretty big break, uh, so to say, um, later in 2003, I was sort of casually performing at a festival and, uh, this guy came up to me and, uh, you know, was totally enthusiastic, completely blown away. This guy, Harden Miner, who has been a hugely transformative person in my life, much like you. Um, and, uh, and he said, Hey, have you ever thought of choreographing? You know, have you ever done this, you know, more professionally in a, in a corporate setting? And, uh, yeah. And that was, that was sort of the beginning of my more formal performance career. Right. Yeah. Right. And then do you remember when you adopted the name Spiral? Ooh, I, you know, I wouldn't remember except for uh, hooping.org's name registry that they had back in the day, Mm -hmm. uh, because hoop names were such a big deal back in the early Oh, that's so right. I forgot about that. uh, Hoopalicious and hoop girl. And I was kind of obsessed with this idea that I needed a name. Um, And so I was mulling it over and mulling it over. um, And... uh, but I think because of the influence of these other names, I was leaning a little bit more towards the, I mean, I mean, cheesy in the nicest way possible, but I was a little more, you know, towards this end. And then when I saw one of the first images of me spinning fire, spinning a fire hoop, uh, it was a long exposure. So I could see the trails were kind of this double helix sort of shape. And I immediately thought spiral. Yes, that's the name. And, uh, it was around, uh, well, May, May 2004 is when I registered the name mm-hmm. on, on hooping.org, but I think it was a, a bit earlier that I chose it. Right on. Well, uh, I, I'm going to uh, maybe catch you a little bit off guard, but you just brought up something that I, I'd like to uh, get your thoughts on, and you can take a minute to think about it. But 
I really think that one of the things that non-performers sometimes don't realize is part of the function of a performer name. And I think it has, of course, many functions. But I think one of them is for the performer themselves because their name becomes kind of a vehicle to a character that they are. Does that make sense? It's like when they get on stage, they're not getting on stage in the name that they were given. They are stepping onto stage in the person they want to be, you know, in the like sort of highest representation of themselves. You know what I mean? The, the, the flawlessness of being a flawless performer. And I wonder if you have... Any thoughts like that? You know, does that resonate at all? Do you is there a is there a difference between uh, you know uh, spiral and you as you are in the day to day? That's a great that's a great question um, and a good observation. But it's also kind of telling as well uh, of how just green I was, I think, when I chose it. Um, but it's also part of the divine flow of this entire path. You know, mm. you kind of, once you make the choice for this alternative path, this artistic life, you know, your, your eyes ideally are a bit more open and things start, you know, making sense in different ways. But when I chose the name Spiral, it literally was um, such a visually triggered thing that I just had no idea the depth of it. So to, to get back to your question, now it has much more meaning for me yeah. uh, because I went on this whole research, you know, journey of spirals, you know, and uh, the ubiquitous nature of them throughout the universe from mm -hmm. the micro to the macro. And the fact that patterns of growth and the swirling of the stars and all these things I just had no idea. I mean, Fibonacci, there are so many different paths to go with, with this specific spiral idea. And the fact that it repeats in so many different ways in this uh, steady ratio, in art, in nature, in, in everything, that it became um, sort of a, a little bit of a proof of divinity mm. once, I, once I went down the path of researching it. And so then, of course, it had much more meaning for me overall. Um, uh, however, I mean, my gosh, I've had the name for so long now, um, that at this point, yeah, there, there's not, it doesn't feel like there's that much of a separation between the mm. quote unquote Vivian and spiral and being from the South and having worked in the South for so many years, um, it's even more common that I get the question when I'm there, oh, well, what's your real name? You know, when I introduce right, myself, right, which I have to admit always rubs me a little bit wrong that drives because me it's, crazy. it's, 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 come on. It's like my real name is whatever I choose to introduce myself as. Um, uh, but depending on the energy of the asker, I'll always, you know, delve in a little bit more. But, mm. uh, when I moved to the Bay area in 2009, I think because of the nature of the Bay, people were much more, it, it, almost everyone called me spiral. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they were into it. It, it. it became such a thing that the separation between any kind of two identities sort of dissipated. But there, there is definitely something to, you know, yeah, yeah, this kind of higher ideal with it. There's something that transcends uh, the mundane and something that goes a little bit deeper. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I hope I can embody it. And it's, it's one of the things that uh, makes me smile big is when – 
when someone has seen me do what I do and then they come up and, and, you know, introduce and we talk and then they ask me my name and they say, Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> you know, because they've seen what I'm doing. They're like, oh, of course, you know, well, right. that's the perfect thing. Yeah. Right. Right. So, uh, for those of you that are listening, uh, Vivian lives in Berlin and we are doing this through Skype. And so <laughs> every now and then, if you're hearing the sound kind of go in and out, Spiral's a very animated person, and every time she moves, <laughs> it goes out a little bit. Uh, she also talks with her hands a lot, which is just like me, which is awesome. <laughs> but I wanted to, um, so you would describe yourself as a performer, right? Yes, yes. At this point, um, yeah, primarily. It used to be more of performer and teacher, but it's been a while since I taught. Yeah, mm. I've... I've uh, I've been sustaining myself from performing for quite a while, uh, but I have also been very comfortable living on the verge of poverty for a long time. So, right, right, you know, <laughs> right, 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 right. You know, it's um, you know, in the podcast that I just did with uh, Drex, uh, we spent some time talking about that sort of commitment to the artistic pursuit. You know, and it really does take a lot of effort, doesn't it? And, it, and it's like you, I mean, you get, it's, it's funny because, <laughs> you know, you get into the coolest parties, but you also see some really dark places as well, you know? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, my gosh, I mean, the experiences I've had, um, you know, they're, they're, they're not quantifiable at all. They're amazing. I've had such, such, a such a, a breadth and depth of experience, but I've also lived without a quote unquote home for many years. Mm -hmm. I've also, you know, had very little in my bank account for maybe a decade, you know, right. and, and as, as with any sort of freelance work, it comes and goes, you know, and you, you have to really cultivate that, uh, the faith you know, and to get into the hippy dippy speak of like manifesting and that it's all going to be taken care of, which is usually true. I can't deny that, you know, I mean, my parents from time to time helped me out throughout the first part of my path when I mm -hmm. really needed it. And that was always a bit of a, you know, it's hard to be totally proud of yourself when you're getting the the occasional handout every now and then. But at the same time, we also live in a society, especially in the States where patronage and stuff like that is really hard to come by. Really hard. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a hustle and it definitely demands a degree of sacrifice that I think a lot of people are not comfortable making or are not even aware of because when you see the pictures on Facebook or, or, or the Instagrams of, you know, she or he is in that place and this place and this, that, and the other, of course, they're amazing experience, but there's a lot, especially having been a solo performer my whole career, you know, there's no troop to rely on. There's nobody there to help me with my luggage. There's nobody, you know, there's, there's a lot of couches to sleep on and this kind of stuff. So, yeah. You know, I used to say that the loneliest person in the room is the person that's in front of everybody. Ah, yes, that's a good one. <laughs> yes. You know, it's, it's so funny, especially when you're a solo performer, because you don't, like you said, there's nobody to high five. There's Ooh. nobody to say good show or, you know, like that from your, from your day to day, you know? Yes. And, uh, yeah, I can, what do you, what's like, I mean, I don't want you, I know you don't walk around with a list, but what, what do you think is one <laughs> of the like consistent highs of doing what you do? 
Like, is Ooh. what is it? Is it the rush? Is it completing? Well, it's it's funny because I actually, my goodness, I still de- well, depending on what the gig is, but if it's anything of of any degree of importance, like for example, a festival set, something where I can totally flow and jump on stage, that's. My, you know, that's the ultimate fun gig where there, there's no worry. I can totally just channel and, and have fun with it. But anything else, you know, I definitely still get nervous before I go on stage. There's, there's sometimes the degree of anxiety that I even question why I'm doing this in the first right. place sort of thing. Uh, but I think that, uh, the consistent high is especially during my, during my personal flow practice, um, the states that I reach with the hoop and, and some of my other flow props, the wand and, and, uh, I do some contact juggling also, but the hoop was my first love. And it's still the thing that gets me the highest quote unquote, mm. that really connects me to source. And so when I have that feeling, you know, I'm so often immediately, uh, struck by the fact that, wow, I, I can't believe I still love this so much. And this is what I get to do. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's really good to have those moments because there are a lot of moments like, wow, this is so much work. You know, the, the get to do uh, sentiment sometimes gets lost under the. For sure. You know, for sure. The yeah. hustle. Well, one <laughs> of the things that I'm trying to do with this podcast is, you know, uh, give some oxygen and some relief to some of the, you know, to a lot of us that are doing it because I think that people see us you know, really, and honestly, in what are peak moments, like when we're doing what we're, what we've been training for some of us, most of our lives to do. And they base our, their whole worldview of us on that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not a, this isn't a negative or like a us against them thing, but I don't know if people always realize. And since there's so many young artists listening to this, that it's not like once you have some success that the anxiety goes away. Oh, you know, definitely you not. If anything, it increases. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't want to be dark, but the more, the more, the more, uh, the better the gig. You know, a lot of times, the more stress that comes along with it. Yes. Yeah, it's really teaching me impermanence. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because, well, for a while, I was on this capitalistic vibe where I just assumed that everything was going to grow. Everything would like grow. You know, but I'm sure as a performer, you've experienced this, where you, you know, you, you. You dance to 5,000 people somewhere, and then the next gig, there's like 40 people there, and you're, <laughs> you oh, know, yes. you know or, or something, you know, some equivalent to that, you know, like, mm-hmm. it's been, I don't know, it, it used to be really funny to me, because I would teach local classes here, as you know, and then I was building my, my traveling and teaching, and so I was traveling all over the U.S. and Canada, and I was selling out, thank God, selling out, and I would like sell out these workshops, and you know they would have been sold out for months, and then or at least weeks, and then I'd come home, and there'd be two people in class. Oh, <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> I mean, I, you know this story, but the the day that I won the Hooping.org Teacher of the Year, which was the first time they gave that out, nobody came to my class that night. <laughs> oh no, I did not. I did not. Know that. Yeah, yeah, it was that cruel. Is- irony yes um well let's let's drop back um one second um i'm sure people are curious what kind of movement you were into before you found the hoop like were you a trained dancer yogi person i wish don't i wish um 
I came from a very middle class uh, background, and we really didn't have the money for dance classes, although it was something I was completely obsessed with from a very young age. I remember uh, going to the library, and all I would look for were books on dance and mythology. And I think it's so interesting that kind of those two things sort of interwove Mm. uh, later in my life. Um, kind of creating my own personal mythology, as you're quite familiar with. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I um, <laughs> well, cheerleading. Cheerleading was something I did in middle school and high school, and that was probably my first introduction really to performing. I did a little bit of modern dance. The middle school I went to had a uh, this sort of program, and that was just, uh, I couldn't get enough of it. Um but yeah, yeah, cheerleading, actually, the, the degree to which I was involved with, and you know, you're from North Carolina, I mean, pe- pe- people take the sports pretty seriously, so Way. I was quite quite lucky that uh, the troops that I was a part of, they were pretty competitive, so, you know, I learned tumbling, I, I was stretching pretty early on, you know, so I got my back handspring and all this kind of stuff, and group dynamics and partner acrobatics, so that was one of the first tastes of maybe being on stage, Um but yeah, more more than that, it was just always a, a desire to dance. I've always loved that. Yeah. What, what about performing? Did you have a performing history outside of the cheerleading? No, not really. I mean, maybe a couple dance recitals in middle school, but but that's about it. Yeah. Hmm. And did you, um, you know, what's interesting about um, setting you up a little bit of backstory about your performing is that, uh, you know, and I don't want to embarrass you, but I remember, so... Uh, Spiral and I had started, had, we eventually became kind of hoop buddies and would hoop a lot together. Um, and there was this short period where she came back to town and discovered that I had been hooping and then she had been hooping and we would hoop at Weaver Street, but we hadn't really started practicing together, I think. Maybe we had, but it was so early on that I don't think we had. And I remember it was uh, the Carborough Music Festival Day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And um, we walk, were walking down towards Weaver Street, and on another lawn was a drum circle. And, uh, and we were walking by, and I remember the people in the drum circle who you knew were like hollering, or maybe you didn't know them, but they were hollering like, come on over, come on over, come on over. And I remember like without hesitation, you just walked with your <laughs> giant ass hoop into the middle of a very small circle. Okay, no, I had been practicing with you. That's it. I had been practicing with you. This, this is all coming together now. Because I remember, like, I was kind of surprised at how quickly you went for it because I hadn't seen that side of you yet. Oh, I'm all about that. Line. Yeah. Well, now it's obvious. <laughs> that was my introduction to it. That, like, you know, I don't think you've ever made a, met a stage you don't like. And I think that's awesome. It's, it's f- true. Yeah. I, I light up. I light up uh, with, with, uh, with attention. Well, I remember you, you going <laughs> off and like, I remember going, holy shit, where did that come from? And, well, and it's go ahead. I, saw, I saw a post recently that somebody made about, uh, you know, that they, they, they find themselves practicing alone a lot. They didn't have a tribe where they were. And, you know, they were kind of lamenting the fact that, uh, they didn't have quite the same, um, energy or feeling when they were alone. And I will say, um, 
that although absolutely I do, you know, I light up when I realize that somebody's watching, even if it's in an incidental situation, like Mm. here in Berlin, the park culture in the summer is so, um, so wonderful and, and, and so widespread that I go to practice in the park quite a lot. And, you know, so there it's sort of the audience that's incidental, like people are there, but one or two might watch and that's great. You know, that's great for a flow practice. But I, as a solo artist, I've practiced alone for so many years but I still get the same high if I'm just all alone, you know, right. I'll definitely reach the same flow state. Um, uh, but yeah, did I get off topic? No, no, no. How do you practice? <laughs> how do you, how do you set up your practices or like what, what's, what's a typical, uh, I mean, I'm assuming you do some kind of movement practice every day. Is that correct? Yes. Or? Yes. Pretty much every day. Um, and it's funny, I, I had to smile a bit when you were doing the intro because I think you said, uh, uh, maybe four or five years ago with the circus arts, but I think that's a bit of a, a nod to how time flies. Uh, but I went to circus school in 2008, nine. Oh, okay. So it's been so almost, almost 10, 10 years. years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that I, that I went corrected. with the intention of, 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 um, of really solidifying, a, uh, some aerial acts and also learning how to handstand and stuff. Um, but, uh, so, so yeah, so that had a big influence on my practice and, one of the things kind of circling back to what you're saying about how people, uh, especially, I mean, my gosh, hooping in the flow arts have exploded right. since you and I started it in yeah. such a big way. And I do think that there's so many aspirations for people to be professional, professional teachers, professional performers and all this stuff. But I, I think it's a very small percentage of folks who really realize how much work it takes. Right. Um, and that's no knock, you know, you can't, you can't have any idea of how much work it takes until you're totally in it, you know? Uh, but, um, it was very early on in my, my path as a performer. And now looking back, I realized that I actually had a pretty odd performance path because, uh, the guy who quote unquote discovered me, Harden, uh, he is an amazing entertainer. He's been a lifelong entertainer, uh, character artists, physical theater, mime, dance, all these things. Um, but he immediately started booking me for corporate gigs. And so from the very start, I was doing corporate work. Um, and now I know that that's actually a very, very odd trajectory Mm -hmm. because, because a lot of people, and I was definitely still getting, um, paying my dues in other ways, going out and doing things that were not for pay and which, which you need to do when you're very, very first starting out. But, Um, so I was kind of in this more high dollar corporate world pretty early. So I saw pretty early, okay, I need to diversify my skill set from just hula hooping, you know, to, to be as, as valuable, quote unquote, a performer as possible. And, uh, and I was very drawn to the aerial arts and other circus things, but, you know, starting as a young adult, you know, you're immediately confronted also with the reality that a lot of people that you're, you know, in competition, for lack of a better way to mm-hmm. put it, for these gigs, you know, many of them do come from a circus background or started very, very young. So that was definitely part of the drive, you know, to to push as hard as I could, um, and and to uh, diversify my skill set. Like I said, and so once I went to circus school and started training these other things my gosh, you know, it's a luxury for me these days to have a practice that is completely flow. Right. You know, nowadays I I definitely, I pretty much start every practice with flow. Um, at least 
mm, five to 20 minutes. So that's kind of my warm up, and Mm -hmm. then deep stretching and then handstands and then whatever discipline I need to be training that day, you know, or disciplines, plural. Um, I want to go back and talk about something because I bet you'd have Mm -hmm. some insight on it. And um, it's about this uh, idea of um, pay versus exposure. Ah, yes. Uh-huh. Now, I know that um, because of all your um, different things that you've got going on, that you don't really keep up as much with the hoop community like you used to in the sense of you're not aware of trends as much as you used to be and that sort of thing. And so yes. what has happened, and I'm, I'm about to get a little controversial here, maybe. Ooh, but I'm, I'm not, so curious. Well, yes. I'm not trying to be, <laughs> but I am going to be a little bit of a big brother because okay. I did witness your career path, as it were. Uh-huh. And so there's a trend right now that is going on in the hoop community. And it's not that I disagree with it. I want to make sure that's clear before I say this. The idea okay. is that hoopers have been complaining now for years, and it seems to have really built up into this sentiment that they deserve to be paid if they're going to hoop for someone or in front of someone. Okay. And I don't uh, disagree with that per se. What has happened though? And people, and and, and like if a hooper, especially a popular hooper writes something, it'll get like 400 likes as far as like, yeah, you should, you know, you should get paid and all this sort of stuff. Ah, curious. Okay. One, one element. So is this usually for like a festival gig or they're hooping with a DJ or what, what's the context of them feeling like they should be paid quote unquote? It seems to be for festival it seems to be more of like for the go-go type hoop dancer ah interesting okay or or for that type of uh, entertainment role like Mm -hmm. not that there's type of go-go but you know what i mean like that 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 they will be at a party or something to liven it up or whatever and so the sentiment has kind of fomented into more just straight up anger and bitterness And so what happens is someone will chime in on like, they'll find a hoop group randomly on Facebook and they'll chime in and they'll say, Hey girls or guys, we're having, (laughs) we're having a DJ at this club and we'd love to get some hoop dancers there. And it's almost like within a minute, it's like chumming the water for sharks (laughs) And within Uh a minute, like hoopers just pounce. And so Ah, interesting. Okay. Okay. And they're like, fuck you. You shouldn't be writing, you know, you know, and I totally get it. But I also wonder if it's creating, if it's actually backlashing, because I know for a fact that my classes were filled up because you were willing to go hoop in front of people in public for free. And people saw you and said, where's a local hoop class? And it was mine. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and so, so without, you don't have to get into all my example, but I'm curious, like, so let's say, let's be, let's bring it on a more positive side. Let's say a young Mm. artist person that wants to be a circus performer, performer like you are, what would you, what advice would you give them for how often to do exposure gigs versus pay gigs, how to, you know, any advice on when to set your mark and that sort of thing? Yes. Wow. What a great question. And what an interesting uh, topic. I, yeah, you're right. I had no idea of that particular trend uh, in the community now. And I have to, I have to chuckle a little bit, I must admit, because, um, 
Okay, for one thing, it's interesting, the timing of your question, because just maybe a week or two ago, uh, I read a very interesting blog on this topic, and maybe uh, I'll, I'll try to find it, so perhaps you can put the specific link in the description. Sure. Um, this, wo- this woman, Laura Whitworth, uh, is quite well known in the aerial dance community. Uh, and she had recently written a blog on this topic because I think actually a few years ago she had written the post about with, with the general sentiment of, Hey, don't perform for free. You're dry. You're hurting the general community because performing for free drives down all the rates and it devalues the art. However, I think there's a parallel in the aerial community and the hooping community. Um, Whereas now the more recent blog was like, hey, actually, you do need to perform for free for a while to get just the basic skills for performing, you know, and to get a little bit of of, uh, dirt under your nails and this kind of thing. It's a very fine line. Um, And I would say, of course, you know, hooping is even more accessible than performing at an aerial dance level and the hooping community, the hooping community has exploded in the last decade. So, you know, with all due respect, I do find it a bit laughable. I don't know if that's the right word that, that I, (laughs) I think that's a little harsher than you mean. (laughs) That is, that is harsher than I mean. Okay. It brings a smile to your face in a knowing way. it, It makes me chuckle. You know, it, it is absolutely, uh, you know, someone's someone's work and time they put in uh, to something should always be valued. Um, and you should also take into account, of course, the venue, the setting, who is making money off this event, how much money is actually being made. Um, anytime you're asked to do something for very little to no pay, you also have to factor in the fun for you. Mm -hmm. You know, I think especially in the last five or six years, like I used to perform at a lot more festivals, uh, because hooping and skilled, really skilled hooping was more rare. Um, so festivals were willing to pay. Whereas these days, you know, not only has the festival world sort of exploded, but the hooping world definitely has. So Mm -hmm. it's less and less likely that those places are going to have a budget. However, um, you know, these days I'm pretty happy for the most part, uh, uh, to get in and get a little stipend to go to some of the best festivals in the world, you know, to get a free ticket and be artist camping and maybe a couple hundred bucks. And I do one set or two, you know, mm-hmm. or two sets, but, uh, I wouldn't demand pay, uh, to go, you know, see a DJ that I like and hoop, um, if it was something that I really wanted to do. So you kind of have to weigh the fun factor of it. And also kind of at this point in the game weigh uh, how many other people are doing it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough to say it that way, but um, yeah, I should, I should definitely uh, uh, refer you to this blog. She put it so eloquently mm-hmm. because now, you know, there, there is this fine line between yes, of course, as artists, we deserve to be compensated. Um, and, and especially within people's local community, that sort of undercutting and being willing to do things for free really does hurt the the greater community. Um, but you know, for certain things you sort of have to weigh, you know, do I want to do it? Is this fun? Um, is there a promoter that's making hella money off this or is this just, you know, somebody who would like, I mean, you don't have to do anything, you Mm -hmm. know, and if you're up in arms about, oh, well, they're asking for, you know, performers, but they don't want to pay, well then don't do it, you know? Yeah. I, I stopped teaching at festivals for free. 
Yes. Many years ago. And I know that, um, you know, I've at least heard through the grapevine that people thought that that was kind of assholey of me or whatever. But, you know, especially at the time I was doing it, I was doing my own gigs, running my own workshops all the time. So to go and teach at a festival was really a for the love moment, you know, yes. because I was going to be spending money instead of making money. And, you know, I'm poor. So it yeah. was, <laughs> you know, but I, um, you know, one thing I, I wouldn't, I'd love to hear your thoughts on too is, um, I, I don't think people realize just uh, how you earn when you do finally start getting paid. It's because you've earned it. You know, I think that there's some luck involved for everybody. Like you got lucky yes. when you met Harden and whatever. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, I got lucky through the Hoop Life movie and through other things. But, 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 but the luck only like opens the door. It's all the effort yes. that really walks through. And, and can you talk about like that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, even with Harden, uh, he did keep me, um, cause he was the one primarily booking me at that time. He did keep me at a certain low, what I know now to be a low pay grade for probably, I don't know, two, three years of the gigs that he was booking me for. And that's totally fair because quite frankly, you know, I was still pretty green. Um, when I think back to the first corporate performance I did with him, I, I have to laugh. Oh, bless at what I put out there. But, um, you know, it, it is kind of that thing of, of paying your dues. And even during that time, although I was, you know, doing those gigs, I was still going to Weaver street twice a week for free and hustling, uh, hoops for sale and stuff like that. Um, but yes, especially if you're trying to break into, well, in the U.S. especially, corporate work and corporate events is really the stuff that, you know, uh, one-off gigs per se, where you're basically, uh, it's not a contract. It's you go in there, you do a certain act. Sometimes you have to cater the act to the theme or whatever else, um, you know, and they, and they can take quite a lot of work, but there is often quite a big paycheck, Um but, you know, those can be fewer and farther between. They can be harder to get. You know, there's so much work on the back end of just marketing yourself. And that's a whole nother thing. You know, um, I've always been a soloist and I have a terrible, terribly difficult time asking for help. So I was totally on this kick of I'm going to learn how to do everything myself. You know, I'm going to make my own website. I'm going to learn how to edit videos. I'm going to learn how to do all this stuff. Um, so the, the, there's so much that goes into it. And yeah, there's definitely luck involved, but you also have to deliver because if mm -hmm. you, if you get the opportunity and if you get these things aligned, so you get the gig, um, yeah, hopefully you're still showing up with all the hard work that you've put in to, you know, that will yield more, more opportunities from that. Totally. Totally. Mm. Well, let's, let's talk about what that, some of that hard work has achieved, like what you've been working on recently. So, like, if, if I were to ask you to describe what you've been doing professionally, mm. like types of gigs or whatever, over the last three or four years, uh, what would you say? Ah, uh, let's see. Well, uh, like I said, I was living in San Francisco in the Bay Area um, for about seven years, starting in 2009. And what initially drew me there, well was hoop technique and all this kind of, you know, the flow art scene and the circus was really blowing up. 
Um, but, uh, as the time passed there, I learned how difficult it was to be an artist there because it's a very expensive, uh, place to live and all this stuff. And so I was, I was still doing uh, corporate work and I would come back to North Carolina to work from time to time. And ironically, I was getting paid better, uh, pretty much everywhere else, but the Bay. Hmm. So I was, I was still doing kind of this one-off, you know, gigging for the most part. Um, uh, but ever since I came to Berlin, which is where I am now, uh, for the first time in 2011, I was convinced that I wanted to live in Europe. I wanted to live in Berlin. And so one of the things that I did in an effort to, and I, and I will circle back to your original question, but this sure, all kind of leads please. into it. But, um, I had this idea that I would, and I don't know why, because my first experience making an instructional DVD should have been enough to know that that is something <laughs> I never wanted to take on again. Right. But I got this brilliant idea that along with, you know, the performing gigs that were coming in, I was going to make this instructional DVD in the flow wand. And that was going to give me my nest egg to then move to Berlin. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I put all this time and all this effort into to creating this instructional DVD. And, um, and then when I launched it, um, and I thought I had been totally realistic in my, um, worst case scenario predictions. Oh God. <laughs> but, but it surpassed my worst case scenario prediction by, yeah. Oh God, I, I don't even have a calculate a percentage, but basically it completely tanked and I had put all this work into it. And this is, you know, part of the, the life of the freelance artist, but right. that was early 2014. And I had, you know, really put all my eggs and all my time in this basket. And I had reached this very low state of gosh, you know, start starting the, the question started to creep in, you know, you don't really have a plan B is this, is this time to to figure something else right. out, you know, the finances are really low. I, I really counted on this thing and it's not working. And as cheesy as it sounds, um, I really started getting very, very active with my visualization and, and with my manifestation. Hmm. And, and I had heard a few years before about working on cruise ships, you know, and I had this idea of like, God, that would be great because of course I have quite the travel bug. I always have, you know, and, and I, and I knew that those, the, that sort of work was out there. I thought, Oh, I'd, I'd really love to get a contract. You know, I've been doing so much of so many one-off gigs. I want a contract, a nice long contract so I could finally save some money and do the thing. And, um, gosh, it was about a month and a half after I had really, really started with this intense visualization of not only did I want to work on a cruise ship, but even thinking about what would be my minimum, you know, per week that I wanted to make off of a contract mm. like that. And about a month and a half into that, um, and bless her heart, I have no idea if she realizes how much of an impact this had on my life, but Luna Breeze, uh, Shakti's sister, yeah. she, she tagged me in a post on Facebook of a call out for this cruise ship contract. Um, and of all things, they asked for an aerial hoop video for the casting, which of course I had an aerial hoop act. So I sent that video in, um, and I got the gig and, and the gig was, uh, the, the, the number per week ended up being a hundred dollars more than what I had kind of set my sights on, you mm. know? And so it was really from this lowest place in my path of being so far into the career of like, wow, is this, is this a sign that it's time to start something mm. new? 
where I really became so desperate um, and, and at the same time, so much more diligent, you know, waking up even earlier, starting my day with manifestation, starting my day with visualization, doing all the things, everything I could think of. And lo and behold, this came. And that was a very transformative, uh, very transformative gig for me. Um, and so I worked for almost two years on the ships. Um, and that allowed me to, to save a little money and to do quite a lot of travel, um, and it was during this time on the ship um, that uh, I met this young woman, Sante, who is doing this uh, this show on the GOP variety circuit here in Germany, which I had heard of some years before. And the moment that I heard of this particular variety circuit, I thought, ah, I've got to do that. You know, I've been wanting to live in Germany for so many years. Uh, and it was quite auspicious. I met her on my birthday. And then some months later, she she sent me an email. Hey, uh, by the way, you have an aerial hoop act, right? Can you fill in for me for this gig? And so um, last year in May, I did a week for her for this show. And then they asked me back to do another six-month contract, which is what I'm preparing for now, starting in September. And I did another little bit of it uh, uh, back in January. So right now, I'm I'm yeah, I'm preparing for this six month run from September to March on this uh, variety circuit here in Germany that I've been wanting to work on for a really long time. And it just, you know, it's such an interesting. Yeah. Is it intimidating? Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes, yes, it is. I mean, it's 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 amazing um, and a bit intimidating. Um, She was not able to do this six months because she is uh, got a contract with Cirque du Soleil. Oh wow! So yeah, so I am uh, fulfilling her Those role. Those are big in the shoes show. to fill. Yes, yes, uh, and I'm honored. You know, uh, she's an amazing artist, um, and so I'll also be doing an aerial hoop act and a hula hoop act in the show. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what I'm focused on now, and that's sort of what I referenced earlier on. Is like you know the the higher you go. Yeah, you know, the the stakes the stakes are raised. The cast mm-hmm. that I'm with in the show, um, they're amazing. Yeah. A lot of amazing, really, really talented performers, and many of them from a deep circus background, deep circus families and stuff like that. And uh yeah, I never thought I'd quite be there from my humble hippie barefoot beginnings <laughs> in two thousand one, but here I am. Well you talked yeah. about something there's two things that I wanna unpack that you talked about just now or, or just elaborate on. Like, or have you elaborated on, but um, are about uh, the visualization. And, ah, yes. um, you know, I, uh, I love belief systems and uh, organized and, and, you know, untouched systems of thought and belief. And so uh, I don't wish to get into any kind of debate with you about this, but I, I'd like to like, hear you talk a little bit more about uh, visualization and you know um you use the word manifest and and you know that a lot of people use you'll hear a lot of talk about visualization manifestation um sometimes it's attached to the law of attraction and things like that but what i've noticed when i start to talk to people is everybody kind of has an individualized you know belief in it you know or what it actually does and so could you talk about Like, I mean, even just the first part, like, how do you visualize? Do you actually see yourself or do you? Well, my goodness, there's that very, uh, there's the classic book um, by Shakti Gawain, I guess. Um, 
uh, about visualization that I read many years ago. And it's the whole idea of that when you visualize, you know, you've got to get as deep into the actual feeling of of the experience having already happened, you okay. know, and as many as many senses as you can possibly engage. Um, and at the time, and, I, and I've employed this throughout my life, uh, but at this particular time when I was at my lowest point, literally my lowest point on the path and sort of this place of despair and, and loss of hope and feeling like I had put so much work in and that I'd made the wrong choice in the focus of my effort. So yeah, I, I was really... Um, I was really, it was a crisis of faith, basically, but I knew that I wasn't quite ready to give up. And so, yeah, it pushed me to think about what, what would I really, really want and why not dream big, you know? So every morning uh, when I got up, I would sit at my altar for a little while and really think about and try to sink in. And I'm not, you know, super, super disciplined, spiritual, like I'm not meditating for half an hour every morning as I probably quote unquote should be. But it was definitely at least taking a few minutes to try to sink in as deep as I could to, you know, where would I like to go? How would it feel? How would it feel to be earning a steady paycheck, which is something that I had never really done throughout right. my whole artistic career, you know, and what would the, the, the level of relief that I would feel from having this steady income? And it was funny. Um, also, how quickly that opportunity came once I really focused myself on that. And, um, and you'll probably appreciate this too. Once I had finally gotten everything done and it was, it was quite a scramble. The, the gig came very quickly and then I had to hustle and get a lot of ducks in a row very fast. And once I had done all that, and once I was sitting on the plane flying to Miami to embark on this first contract, the deep feeling of, Oh my gosh, wow. I've never felt so, um, just relieved, you know, this deep, this deep, deep relief of, of, um, of finally having something like that come through and, and sort of a steady income. But yeah, back to visualization and manifestation. I don't know if you feel this way, but part of, um, part of the whole energy of the hoop I've joked for years, uh, half joking, half serious. The hoop is a magnet. Mm -hmm. The hoop is not only the energy that we stir up with it, which I also believe in some way does create sort of a, a field around us. But even in a more literal sense, when you take a hula hoop out to a park or to a festival or to whatever, more than poi, more than juggling, more than anything like that, it is uh, something that people of all ages resonate with. Mm -hmm. You know, so many of older folks have seen it before. It draws people and experiences to you in a way that other things just don't, mm -hmm. I think. And so that I feel like has sort of intensified my ability to manifest things in a way. I don't know if it's just the, the energetic field that it stirs up or, or the, yeah, the sort of chance meetings or, or the connections that it facilitates, but there's definitely something about that tool in particular. Yeah. I think that, uh, yeah. Yeah. And you know, I mean, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I totally agree. And just would add to that, that I think that just Movement practices in general. I think that one of the overlooked things, because, you know, there are some people that think of movement as, as exercise. 
Mm. And what I mean by that is you could put that in quotation marks maybe because I don't mean like that they think of it as being good for them and whatever, but as like this task, this thing that they need to get done so that they don't look like a fat slob to them. <laughs> yes. To them. I just added that to them because yes, you know, yes. you're trying, you're fighting your, your inner critic is your harshest. Oh my heavens. Yes. <laughs> and I think what's missing in that. And not to opine too much off topic, but I think that one of the reasons we are perhaps at times overly medicated as a culture mm. is because there is a statistical proof that we're moving less as a culture, you know? And so, like, in addition, I don't want to knock any of the specialness off of hooping, but I think a big part of the reason that hoopers have all these life-changing moments is because they get serious about a movement practice. And ironically, they get serious because it's so fun. Yes, yes, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure you and I share the opinion. You know, it breaks my heart, especially on the ship. You know, there's a big gym area on the ship. It is basically a floating hotel, you know. And right. so you go up there, and they, they had a couple little movement studios, which is where I always was practicing my art. But then the whole bulk of the gym is all the ellipticals and everything else. And just, you know, it, it makes me sad for so many people that are kind of slogging through this thing that, that you know, there's something they have to do, just like you said, versus something that they want to do, you know, and something that gives them creative uh, and expressive fulfillment as well as, you know, a great, amazing workout. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's one of the benefits of the hoop. So, like, I have... Uh, as you know, I have an elliptical too. Yes, you know what <laughs> as I mean. Soon as I and it, I thought it's well, right over there next to you. <laughs> no, because you're you're abs- you're you're right, and I uh, well, you're right. If I add some specifics, and mm. I think well, I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> when there is a benefit towards, um, you do get some benefit, physical benefits of peace, serenity, and calm after an aerobic session of being on the elliptical. Oh, absolutely. The the endorphins and all this. But I think where you're absolutely right has a lot to do with hooping because let's be honest, when you're on an elliptical for the last half, you think you're going to (laughs) die. Yes. Do you know what I mean? You're saying things to yourself like, just keep going, just keep going, just keep going. And that's not the most calm place. (laughs) You know, to speak to, you know, (laughs) source or something, you know, and I do think um, the other thing that's not there is creativity. Yes. And that's a big thing that I think a lot of people don't realize about a hoop practice or flow arts practice is if they allow themselves to be. I mean, I've seen some what appears to be not so creative spinners, but if they allow themselves to be creative and they're not just trying to do what they've seen before, I think that outlet of creativity, it enriches life well beyond just the prop spinning. Oh goodness. Yes. Yes. Well, and that's one of the funny things too, about the proliferation of the flow arts and hooping movement over the last decade or more is that, I mean, you know, when we started YouTube was barely a thing, much less Facebook or Instagram. And, it's been such a it's such a double-edged sword because I feel like there is so much more inspiration. People are sharing their ideas and, and all this stuff and, and there's so much to be learned, but somehow it also overall seems to contribute to this homogeneity, homogenous yeah, sort of yeah. style. You know, people are sort of cataloging the moves 
you know, and then a lot of what you see, it is very creative movement, no doubt. People still have their flow and the tricks are still coming out, but there's a, a sameness to a lot of it. Yeah, I think so too. I think so yeah. too. And that might just be... That you know, might just be mild. <laughs> that might just be us dating ourselves back as to when we exactly, you know. But yes. I do think that it was different back then, and maybe because there were fewer of us, there was a real sort of, for a lot of people, there was a real effort to be individual, even though that yes. was going to be. It's hard to maintain your individuality because you know movements can be done by somebody else, and so it's yeah. kind of hard to be the person that only does that move for very long, but that was a kind of a goal in the beginning was like, if you Absolutely. saw somebody else do it, like you, you nodded to them and then you sort of worked on it, but you let them have it kind of thing. But, yeah, you, yeah. but it definitely, even if you took it, you, you still wanted to come up with something else on your own. And uh, what other changes have you seen in the hoop community? Oh goodness. Well, my gosh, there are myriad changes. Uh, well, for one thing too, mm, I fear that, I mean, like I was saying, it is something that is such a magnet and people resonate with. Um, I fear that there is ironically almost a lack of inclusivity because there, there are so many beautiful, young, thin women doing it, you know, whereas I think when we were more starting and even the first five or six years that we were doing it, I felt like it was a much broader age range. People were still into using bigger hoops. I yeah. always want to have a bigger hoop when I'm out because that's how most adults are going to have their taste of success with it. Yeah. So I fear that, for example, if I give someone that taste of success in the park and they're really into it and I say, oh, hey, you can actually learn a lot online. Almost everything's out there. But then if they go to their computer and look up stuff online, all they're seeing is, you know, 20 to 25-year-old girls with these very fast movies. I, I right. don't know. No, I, it kind I, of breaks apart a little bit. Yeah. It's not as accessible uh, looking. Yes. yes, exactly. And it, and it is absolutely still accessible even in so many ways that it wasn't when we started. But, uh, yeah, I fear that that sort of uh, trend maybe stalls a lot of uh, more people these days than we even realize. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You've always done a good job of, you know, like how much do you, I don't know. I just feel like you've always done a good job of dancing first and hooping second. You know, that like when you perform, um, when you do hoop performances, do you choreograph them or do you just flow? Oh gosh. Well, or do you like have sections that you flow within? Sometimes, yes, but more and more, I mean, like, for example, this, uh, this act that I'm doing for this, um, this gig coming up, oh, it's highly choreographed, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and more and more, I mean, you definitely need to have a set act, yeah, you know, or set acts, and certainly there can be structured improvisation within those, right, um, but yeah, that, you know, my, my time on the ship was really a dream gig, actually, um, because there was so much flow. It was really a lot of um, ambient performance at a lot of the nightclub events or the daytime thing. I could really just do whatever. Oh, my gosh. It was it was like heaven. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, what, um, you know, we're starting to get a little bit tight on time here. And uh, I'm curious uh, what your thoughts are about flow. I know that's a big sort of open question but um you know just to 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 prime the pump like just to give you a couple of seconds to think about it like Mm -hmm. you know for me or you know the the meaning of flow keeps changing for me 
like the meaning of God or something. Like it just evolves. As I get older, it means different things to me. And I think uh, one of the things that it's, it's, without going into a long talk about this, flow for me really has related to the expression of my authenticity. Like, and that it's not this like profound type authenticity where there's some like ancient truth buried in me. It's more of just like, I'm just comfortable in my own skin. I am like having authentic experience just by virtue of not being so friggin' self-conscious. And like, when I'm in flow, that's ki- it's kind of like the absence, I, like I, I feel the absence of something when I'm really in flow. Ah, like I feel yes. the uh-huh. absence of self-doubt and self-questioning and that kind of thing. Oh, that's so interesting that you, that you intertwine that into the question. Yes. I mean, oh my gosh, yeah, the state of flow is, is my ultimate conduit for this sort of feeling like I'm, you know, connected to the infinite web of experience, you know, really like these, these, so I feel like I'm so blessed to have many more transcendental experiences than the average, you know, human, you know, I, I, the state of flow is something that has completely transformed my life in, in all ways. And it's the ultimate medicine. Mm -hmm. Um, but I will say, you know, especially, you know, around this time that I was saying, uh, 2014, there were so many things that happened, you know, 2011, 2012, 2013, that were quite challenging in my path. Um, but when it came to be that I had kind of put all my eggs in this basket of, um, oh, this is going to be the thing that gets me from point A to point B, you know, and suddenly, you know, I hadn't planned any gigs for the place that I was. So suddenly I was completely without work, questioning my whole path. And then I started to really notice that self doubt, uh, and, and a lack of confidence was creeping into my flow state mm-hmm. and, and it broke my heart, you know, right. because really, and, and this circles back to, to, to videoing and stuff like this. I was noticing that every time I put the video camera on, I would completely shut down. And I've, I've seen people, uh, you know, remark on this sentiment as well as just this idea of like, Oh my gosh, well, the video camera, there, there's an inherent, like if you, if you have even the thought that you want to post something online, then there's the judgment of the quote unquote world that can come in much less your own internal judgment of whatever might be happening. You know? So once I started to notice that my, my precious flow state was being uh, impeded upon with the, with these thoughts of self doubt, you know, it was heartbreaking. And, and, you know, I've tried to be aware as much as possible in these last years when that's creeping in, you know, and then there's not much that can be done in the moment other than noticing it and trying to, you know, kind of, kind of pull back and, and really appreciate. Well, like you said, I mean, pure flow is, is lack of any of that, Mm -hmm. you know, and any of that uh, self doubt or critique or anything like that. And it's a tricky thing when your art is also your income. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very, very uh, delicate uh, balance. So, of course, like for me, I'm a, I'm a performer. I'm a solo performer. So much of what I do is being evaluated and critiqued for its worth, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. So yeah. whether or not I can keep my own ex- you know, experience of flow as pure as possible Oh man, I I want to I want to protect that, you know, mm-hmm. diligently as much as I can, but it doesn't always work, you know. It it definitely creeps in. Although on the flip side of that, uh I have to laugh at 
I, I noticed this early on and it has stayed true throughout my entire flow experience is that, you know, I'll be throwing down, I'll be having this great time. But the moment that I acknowledge within myself that, uh, man, this is great. Or man, I look like a badass. or man, I'm really killing it. I lose it <laughs> immediately. I will lose the hoop or I'll lose whatever I'm doing. It is such a interesting yeah. Buddhist sort of, you know, right. Right. uh, humil- humility check. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, yeah. do you, um, I think I'd like to finish up on this. Do you, I consider you, um, an extremely spiritual person, but it's, uh, and this isn't a, a qualifier, but except to say that I, I feel like you're kind of, you're a spiralist. <laughs> like you've kind of, <laughs> yes. you have a spirituality that seems important to you that is made up of many different ideas that you've heard. But I don't think of you, and, and please tell me if I'm, you know, wrong about this, but I don't think of you as following, like, one, like, sort of type of spirituality. Is that accurate, or, or do you consider yourself a, no, something no, with a name? A bit of a dilettante, yeah. yeah you okay. know, in my early 20s, I definitely, probably like many, of, uh, uh, many people, is sort of, uh, well, I was raised Catholic, so I've always had a... Well, I've always had a guilt complex, but I've always had uh, very much, yeah, right, uh, very much of a uh, being drawn towards iconography, mm-hmm. you know, and and the the sort of goddess energy. And so when I became more introduced to the whole hippie world, um, and and actually um, circling back, I discovered yoga and the hoop in the same month in July of 2001. Hmm. So this is a very potent time. And so discovering the practice of yoga, oh my gosh, I mean, that opened right. me up to a whole nother branch of spirituality and, and, uh, and so much of the, the mythology of Hinduism and this kind of thing. And so, yeah, I definitely pick and choose, um, what resonates and and what doesn't. And I try to be somewhat discerning, but really I think it's all about what makes sense to you and what helps you have a greater awareness and appreciation of life and Mm -hmm. empathy, you Mm -hmm. know, empathy and and sympathy for others. Yeah. That's all, all I can hope for anyway. Right on. Well, let me finish with a couple of simple questions here. One, um, after a performance, do you like it when people come up and tell you you did a good job? Oh my gosh, of course. Right. See, I just want to I just want to get that on record. <laughs> yes. Because yes, I, I have do. a lot of performer I friends. I have a lot of music producer friends. I have a lot of people that perform or do things in front of people. And I like to ask them that question because they always go, "Yes." You know what I no, mean? F- that I think a lot of people are afraid. <laughs> you oh, know, well, that like go ahead. Know that like Okay, so my least favorite thing to hear after performance. Okay, that was my next question. So thank you. That's what I asked Ben Drexler this as well. So what's your least my favorite thing? Favorite thing to hear after a performance was, "Oh my God, that was so sexy." Oh. Uh, because I really have a heart. I mean, you were saying I'm a pretty spiritual person, and yeah, I I am. You know, and the hoop has always been a very First and foremost, I mean, that taste of flow, it was a spiritual experience and it, it has, it still is to this day. You know, it's something that's very, very sacred to me. And then the states that I reach, I mean, what I'm trying to convey to an audience is that transcendent state and that joy. You know, one of my favorite things to hear is, oh my gosh, you looked like you were having so much fun up there. I could feel it, you know, right. and, and that going further is also that notion of by doing what we do, 
we're inspiring others to do what their heart calls, not necessarily to become a hooper or a hoop performer, but to do, they can see that I'm having so much joy doing what I'm doing and getting paid to do that it translates into, oh man, I should be doing what I want to do, you know? Um, so yeah, the, 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 that was so sexy is my least favorite thing. Uh, and the whole idea, and it happens more than I would like, but men taking the opportunity to come up and touch me Ooh. when they were telling me I did a good job. God, I hate that. I can see why. Yeah. 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 Don't come up and touch me or try to hug me, especially when I'm right off stage because I'm just kind of pulsing and emanating energy. And it's just like a little kid with a shiny object. You know, they can hardly even help themselves, but right. yeah, right. just don't. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. You have it, to kind of, I guess as a performer, you have to kind of, I don't know, have a force field up maybe a little bit. Or? You do. But then do again, you? I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm also from the South and I'm a very warm person. I don't have any sort of resting bitch face at all. I'm definitely an eye contact, smiley sort of person. And I'm probably much nicer uh, most often. Uh-oh. Okay, for folks at home, we when you're doing live conversations across the world, from North Carolina to Berlin, sometimes things happen, and we dropped out during that. But we're back now. Spiral is back now, and we're going to pick up the conversation. I had just asked you, uh, Spiral, about a force field and if you needed one. Yeah, you know, it, it sure is helpful <laughs> to have one. Um, and as a female solar perf solo performer... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm often the only representative, you know, when I'm out and about or when I'm at a gig. Um, and, and I think we had touched on, you know, post-performance specifically, uh, when people are coming up to, to speak or whatever. Um, and, and oftentimes it's, it's really nice, really warm. Uh, but yeah, uh, sometimes men will be totally inappropriate because, um, especially if I've come right off stage, I, I, I feel, and I've, I've seen in the reception that I get, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pulsating. My vibration is very, very high, you know, and, and I'm, I'm probably emanating, well, not only just endorphins and, and sweat and all of that, but there, there's definitely, um, a very powerful synthesis of energy that happens when you're on stage and, and when you're giving that much out. Um, and I'm a generally very, very friendly person. It's funny cause I've definitely had the feedback from time to time that I come off as intimidating, which is so funny to me because I'm super smiley and, and nice for the most part, uh, which is both good and bad. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm from the South and I'm, I'm very, very, warm. I'm big on eye contact and smiling. Um, some of my closest friends have resting bitch face, but I don't have any of that, <laughs> any of that at all. And, uh, and on the one hand, it does leave me open to certain unwanted energies from time to time. But for the most part, I would say that that aspect of my personality and the fact that, I mean, of course I do evaluate people quickly in my day to day life and hopefully shut down, uh, certain things with a force field of some sort. But for the most part, I would say the trade-off between being an open and smiley eye contacty person has influenced my life, especially being an international traveler as much as I am. A, a smile and eye contact 
transcends any language barrier, you know, mm-hmm. really. And, and so when you're going out and about, I would say that the, the benefits of, 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 of not having this sort of barrier and wall up to the world, um, far outweigh the costs for me because they they really open up so many more connections and, and so many more, uh, for the most part, positive interactions with people. So yes, a force field is helpful, uh, in, in all the time, but just being aware and, and not keeping too much out, hmm. I guess. Yeah. Can you, I, I don't, you know, I, apologies if this is a dumb question or not, but I'm wondering like if you could talk about I don't know. This is one of those questions that may expose more about me than your answer will expose about you. But <laughs> oh, my I'm curious, I'm like, um, I wonder sometimes how I feel like, let me just start this way. I feel okay. like you do a really good job of being attractive in your performances, you know, costuming, you know, I would say that you are aware of your sexuality, but you wrap the, the package of your performance in a way that's like um, strong and powerful. And so it's, um, you know, I just, I don't know, I guess I'm trying to walk a line because I, I, I'm, you know, I'm really not into like slut shaming and that kind of thing. And I think people should wear what the hell ever they want to wear. But I've wondered, like, if you ever think about that, like you said earlier in the podcast that you like it when people see your fun and transcendence there. Yeah, that's about this? so is funny. I was actually just no, it's not a stupid question at all. I was just having this conversation the other day with someone. Um, ah, because like I said, I've said it at least once already. But yeah, I am from the South. Um, so I do have a deep I mean, prudishness is not quite the right word at all by any means, but I think a modesty um a reserve. Yeah, uh, there's a certain degree of reserve, but at the same time, I'm also very, very, I mean, my my family from the South would probably laugh to hear me say that, because by the same token, I am the black sheep and so far left, and into these alternative societies and ways of living that my family would have no, they couldn't even conceive of the stuff that I have, you know, seen and lived, but we won't go into that, but uh, but yeah, um, it's... uh, I, sexiness is, is totally, I mean, sex sells obviously, and I am a professional performer. I'm trying to market my art. So being attractive in a certain way as, is as a female is unfortunately usually pretty much a requirement in some form or another. Um, but yeah, I feel like it's a bit, um, I'm I'm not going for that. I'm not shooting for that. And that is my least favorite compliment to get because I would hope that people would see something more than that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I get that compliment from women and men. I don't want to say it's just men who would come up and say, Oh my God, that was so sexy. It's actually just as often women, if not more women coming up to me and saying that because sexiness has been placed at such a high value, especially in American Western society. You know, it it does break my heart a little bit to see so much. I mean, and this makes me sound, I don't know how it makes me sound, but this idea that, you know, the scantily clad presentation is this ultimate, you know, femininity. Whereas I I don't know, I'm so much more enjoy being a little more I don't know, elegant in some ways. I mean, I haven't always embodied that in my costuming and everything, but that is what I would like to convey in, in my presence and, and how I do it. 
So, yeah. Well, you know, one of your most famous costumes is that one that you wore at Burning Man several times and then in the Hoop Technique demo with the the big skirt and, you know. Yes, yes. It's kind of the I opposite of, you know. And, and I just want to make sure for our listeners, if you don't know Viv and I, we're not in any way um, saying that things can be too scantily you know, clad or that ones can be. No, not at We're all. We're just purely yeah. talking as artist style and kind of like the efficacy of, of delivering a message, right? Yes. Wow. That's so well put. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Oh my gosh. This topic is, is there are so many layers to it. Um, uh, yes, I do love this sort of, um, more powerful, I don't know, maybe just regal and self-possessed presentation. Um, and there, as you said, there's, there's nothing wrong with being scantily clad. If that's what you're drawn to, there is a, you know, there's, there's many, many years of oppression and such slut shaming that need to be fought against. And so the idea that, um, a woman should be able to wear whatever she want and not be objectified. I mean, that's absolutely valid and important. And I'm totally in support of the people who they feel drawn to, to express themselves in this way. Mm. Um, I have seen, and maybe it's just me. It does seem to be quite a trend in Instagram videos to be in your underwear. And that's how people perceive that that's how they get likes. And that's, that's, is how they get likes. You know, there is a a big, um, sex does sell and all that stuff, but it, it does make me a bit sad because it feels like a bit of this, okay, that's what I need to do to be valued. That's what I need to do to, you know, to be liked or appreciated. But anyway, yeah, it's funny that you mentioned this, this costume. I mean, I was drawn from the very beginning to these big skirts and spinning and really utilizing the aesthetic and the sort of this mystical sort of feeling of this, these flamenco skirts and sort of the Sufi dervish style. I actually just today got uh, two new custom skirts uh, made for the, for this act I'm working on. And so, yeah, yeah, I'm just really excited to explore maybe more of those sort of transcendent, mystical, powerful aspects of femininity and how I present my performance personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but you know, I've done the go-go thing too. Yeah, for sure. For <laughs> it sure. all depends on what the client wants and how comfortable you feel with it and all that stuff. Right. Right. But in my personal, yeah, my personal expression is just a bit different. Is that um, hoop technique demo thing with you in the tunnel? It's amazing, by the way, for folks that haven't seen it. It's amazing. Spiral goes into a tunnel in the bay, right? Was it in the bay? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and it was like right before either a train or some traffic was coming. Is that right? You go into this and then... Yeah, yeah. It was a one way. It was very late uh, where we had been shooting all day and it was on the way back uh, from from this shoot and it was nice time and it was it's a one-way tunnel in Marin County north of the bay somewhere and we thought oh we've got enough time to shoot just a little bit and so but yeah yeah it was a really really magical moment because we did get oncoming traffic at the very at the very end of the shoot and sort of had to rapidly reverse through the tunnel uh yes yes to avoid any interaction Uh, yeah that was a pretty amazing amazing piece there's snippet. There's a snippet of it out there on YouTube and on my website, actually. Okay, cool. And what is your website? <laughs> oh, what a natural segue. Um, 
SpiralCircusArts.com, although I'm tempted to tell you to wait and check it for another month until I get the new version up, but that's the total, that's always the artist's uh, lament. Right, 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 right. right, Uh, right. Working on this new website. Well, you've got at least a week. SpiralCircusArts.com. Oh, at least a week. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I just put up an episode today, so you got at least a week before this comes out. And uh, it's really been great to talk to you, Spiral. I really appreciate you taking the time. And like, like I said, I, I, uh, for you guys at home, I'm, I'm right now. I'm, I'm working on another podcast. I've got about six or seven episodes already recorded of my personal flow story, where I'm interviewing and talking to people. Um, about the old school hoop world, and we really just get geeky about hooping for the whole hour. And so I'd love, Spiral, to have you on for that, where we could just get geek out. Oh, I out. would love that as well. I um, feel like we could talk for hours well, about this kind I, of yeah, stuff. Hopefully people <laughs> will, will want to hear us. But um, anyway, yes. uh, so that is coming, and uh, maybe we can work that out. And I just want to thank you, and I am so... Um, I feel badass that you're a part of my friend circle and to such a close degree. And Oh, my goodness. Well, likewise, Baxter, I tell you, you know, um, and I've said you said this to you personally many times, but the things you've channeled uh, have been so dear to me and belief, strength, grace mm-hmm. is something that has gotten me through so much of this life as an artist and the hustle like almost every day. I mean, I would say at least once or twice a week. That's the mantra when I put on my 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 mark in the morning on my, my throat is, is this, yeah. Cause belief is something one has to constantly cultivate as mm-hmm. an artist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's the source of all good things. So it's true. Well, uh, thank you so much for this talk. Thank you for our friendship over the years. And, uh, you know how important you are to me and, and to my past. I, like I said before, last time you were visiting in town, like, you know, without you and my hoop history, it's just not the same. And I, I, I wouldn't be in this, this point right here. And so thank you just for everything that you've done and, and this walk that we've gotten to share. Oh, Baxter, you're filling me with warm fuzzies. Good. Yes, the feeling Good. is quite mutual. Thank you. Well, right on. Well, you, you hang on the line for a second. And folks, thank you for listening to this podcast today. If you like what I do, I'm going to try to do more of these interviews. I really enjoy doing them. And I really think that some of this stuff should be recorded by people that uh, have actually done the stuff that we're talking about. If you do dig what I do, you can like, share, comment on it, subscribe, follow, just anything that you can do to help me spread the word would just be a huge way to show your appreciation. I'll be back next week with another interview. Thank you so much for listening and have a rocking week.